Hello and welcome to Deep Dive from the Japan Times. I'm Oscar Boyd. In August, just after the Olympics, Japan recorded 25,000 new cases of COVID-19 a day. On Monday, only 60 new cases and one death from COVID-19 were reported nationwide. This week on Deep Dive, Bloomberg Japan senior editor Garoud Reedy joins to discuss where have all Japan's COVID cases gone and can we expect another wave? Garoud Reedy, welcome back to Deep Dive. Thank you so much for joining me again. Thanks for having me back on. And everything's changed since the last time we had you on, which was about this time last year, if I recall. And in that episode, you correctly predicted the third wave of coronavirus in Japan. So I'm hoping your powers of prophecy are still intact. <laughs> well, certainly not claiming any uh, any powers of prediction, but uh, it, it definitely seemed to be the way things were going last time. And uh, yeah, I hope that uh, that stood the that stood the test of time last time. <laughs> so could we begin with you painting the picture of the last six months of COVID-19 in Japan? Certainly, yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, it's really been um, a huge change, one that we really haven't seen the like of, I think, in other countries around the world, which is what makes it so fascinating right now. Mm. Uh, we've gone from, in August, there was a peak, you know, the worst wave that we had seen in Japan so far, where we were seeing, you know, 25,000 cases a day in the middle of summer to a situation now where the cases have fallen by about 99.7%, mm. give or take, to uh, about 100, 150 nationwide in Japan. I'm sure I don't need to tell your listeners, but just in case, you know, that's a nation of 125 million people. Um, and here in Tokyo, um, among a population of 14 million people, you're seeing, you know, a little over uh, a dozen cases uh, a day. Mm. So it's it's been quite extraordinary. You know, we saw massive declines in places like the UK and Israel at the start of their vaccination campaigns. But I don't know if you've seen seen one like this where cases have fallen even as you know restrictions have been the restrictions in Japan such as they were need some you know air air quotes um, around that <laughs> but um you know I don't think you've you've seen it where restrictions have been lifted and cases have fallen so much and then stayed low mm. which I think is is one of the interesting things Mm -hmm. To the point where at the end of November, Tokyo cut the alert level on the medical system to the lowest of its four ranks. So there's not even the same pressure on hospitals that we did see earlier in the year. That's right. Since the pandemic began, this is probably the least pressure that you've seen on the hospital system, you know, nationwide and definitely in Tokyo, where we have, I think there's... Uh, two or three serious cases. So those would be cases on a, on a ventilator or mm. on, an, on an ECMO machine. Um, whereas at one point you were looking at, you know, more than 200, I think. Um, and that situation is, you know, is seen uh, across the nation where many prefectures, they haven't had a single case mm. for weeks. They don't have a, ser a single serious case. And so, yeah, every, basically since last February, this is the... the, the the best time, I guess you can say, um, of the pandemic that we've seen so far. I, I think this is probably a question that will be more useful for the listeners who don't live in Japan at the moment. You know, Japan never had a so-called Freedom Day like countries like the UK had, but it has removed its state of emergency, which was designed to discourage from people from going out at all. So for people who aren't living in Japan right now, could you give a sense of, you know, what Japan is like right now in terms of activity levels and kind of how that compares to pre-pandemic? Sure, sure. I mean, I, I guess I would start off from going, yeah, 
Japan had state of emergency, but it never had what I would describe as as a lockdown, anything comparable to what you would see in you know most European countries mm-hmm. uh, over the course of the last last uh, eighteen months, or in places like Australia, New Zealand, places like that. During the state of emergency, there were calls for cooperation. There were very light punishments. I'm not sure if any of them ever actually got put into place, you know, for for places that were disobeying calls to, you know, not serve alcohol. Mm. There was never a time, for example, in which restaurants were asked to fully close. You could always, since, you know, February 2020, you know, when this all kicked off, you've always been able to sit down and have lunch in, in a restaurant, mm. for example. Um, but as you say, now all of those restrictions or just those calls for restrictions, it's hard to choose the right terminology <laughs> sometimes, um, have been uh, entirely eliminated. The only ones of significance that kind of remain at the moment are uh, large-scale events, sporting events and music events. So... As you said, you know, Japan did not have a freedom day. There was no point at which they said, even when the state of emergency ended uh, nationwide, which was at the end of September, um, and that was the first time that that no part of Japan had mm. been under uh, a state of emergency or or similar measures since April, for example. There was a brief period in April mm. when, when that also happened. Uh, but even so, people have been very cautious, the authorities have been very cautious, not encouraging a full return to, you know, to normality. I guess this differs a little bit from last year when authorities were quite quick to encourage, you know, people going out to restaurants, mm. people going on on travel, well, trying to, to support. Yeah, go to travel and go to eat programs, Ex- which were exactly. encouraging domestic consumption of yeah, food and travel. Exactly, yeah. And so and, and that was, you know, I think a well-intentioned attempt to to boost those industries that were very hard hit. But this time they've been a little bit more cautious. And I think people have also been a little bit more cautious as well. If you look at some of the, the data, you know, the mobility data that you see, and even if you look around, you know, certain neighborhoods, um, especially sort of, you know, more, um, you know, residential neighborhoods or also kind of office neighborhoods as well, I would say maybe somewhere like, um, you know, Shimbashi or somewhere like that. Things are not quite back to normal. And that's definitely reflected in the mobility data where there seems to be a tendency for people not to go back to the kind of late night habits that Mm. they have. And so even now, even when, you know, COVID cases are, as you say, in in Tokyo, you know, around about a dozen a day, you're still seeing uh, only about 70% or less um, of the, you know, the people that you previously would have seen, especially later at night, like after 10 p.m. But still compared to, you know, the summer when the state of emergency was in place, it does feel like... Tokyo is much more alive, much more on its feet. When I go through Shinjuku or when I've been through Shinjuku Station recently, it feels very, very similar to pre-pandemic levels to the point where, you know, you just remember how big and how busy a Tokyo can be. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, that's been encouraging to see and it's been great to see, you know. One of the things that's that's interesting about this current situation is that every time that there has been a state of emergency, I think what we had four of them in the end, Every time we got to the end of the state of emergency and when it was lifted or even sometimes before it was lifted, you were already seeing the rebound in mm. cases. And you're not seeing that mm. um, this time. There's not that sense uh, right now of 
trepidation or trying to, you know, sneakily meet up with someone and, you know, we'll get away with it uh, this time or mm. we'll, we'll go for drinks outside or something like that. So I think a lot of places have definitely, a lot of people, I should say, have been able to, you know, reconnect and, yeah. uh, and, get, and get back together. Yeah, you're totally right, because I do remember every time a state of emergency ended before, it felt like you had kind of three, four weeks maybe where you could see people, but there was always the assumption that, okay, we're going to be back into state of emergency pretty soon. And yeah, almost to the day that the, the, the state of emergencies were lifted, cases started rising again. And this feels like the most sustained period of relaxation of low case counts since the pandemic began really yeah absolutely so we've had i want to say now more than seven weeks in tokyo where cases have been below 50 a day right now nationwide the country is averaging like less than one death a day Mm. which is unthinkable really you know you look at for example the uk which has you know obviously has uh, had its early success with the vaccination campaign and then has taken a Interesting step, I think we'll, we'll we'll say in summer to um, to lift all the restrictions and resist, you know, going back into mm. into restrictions. So far, they've been able to to balance that, but at the same time, that's coming at the cost of you know a thousand deaths a week mm. um, from from COVID. Uh, whereas in Japan, which has what twice the population that the UK does, yeah. you know, you're seeing six or seven deaths uh, a week, and not only that, you know, you're seeing the the, the you know number of deaths from, or just even cases, I should say, from uh, influenza, mm. you know, absolutely incomparable to, to two years ago, you know, where it's, it's not, a, it's not a, a disease right now that's, that's, that's threatening the, the public health system. I don't think there's any certain answer right now for what is behind this huge drop in cases but perhaps we can discuss some of the theories that exist for yeah this total collapse of cases in japan yeah as i say you know i think you can come up with theories to explain fairly easily the collapse in cases Mm. i don't know if i've seen anyone come up with a convincing theory why there hasn't been a resurgence in cases and that's kind of definitely one of the one of the interesting things Certainly, the first and most obvious factor that you have to look at is the success of the vaccination campaign, Mm. which was understandably very frustrating uh, early on in the spring. But once that campaign got going uh, after Golden Week, it was extremely high-paced and extremely quick. One thing that certainly surprised me about the vaccination campaign was how high the take-up has mm. um, has ended being. Right, so, almost 80% now, double vaccinated? Exactly, yeah. So give, give, or, t- give or take 80%, basically, which mm. put, puts it, you know, right up there um, as one of the, you know, the most successful nations um, in the world, really, in terms of how many people got it. So the, certainly the vaccination campaign has had an impact in terms of the vaccination as well. One theory is that because the vaccination campaign was kind of so short and concentrated that there's a very high level of immunity within 
the people who are vaccinated, mm. and that is helping to avoid, you know, a resurgence um, in cases. So, so we're not in a position where some people, it's kind of staggered where some people who got it much earlier on than others are now losing their immunity while others who haven't yet been vaccinated are still catching it. Um, so that's the theory. Mm. Um, you know, there were a limited number of mostly healthcare workers who were, uh, you know, vaccinated from, I, I believe, if the middle of February, yes. I would say. Um, so, you know, those people would theoretically, they would be seeing, you know, the immunity waning. Um, and we can talk about the booster campaign mm. um, in, in a little bit. But the majority of people, you know, would have been vaccinated from let's say, the beginning of May onwards mm. was when really the bulk of people got vaccinated. So here we are, I guess, just over six months on from that. So, you know, I guess we'll have to see what happens if the, you know, immunity starts waning after six months, which certainly evidence from other countries would suggest that it does, then you would only start to see that showing up, you know, um, right about now. Mm. One of the other things I should say is that, you know, the vast majority of the vaccinations that were given in Japan were the mRNA vaccines, you know, um, predominantly Pfizer um, uh, and Moderna, and then a small amount of AstraZeneca. That may also be, um, mm. be a factor as well. And apart from the vaccine rollout, what other factors might explain Japan's continued low case count? Certainly one of the reasons I think in Japan has to be, as we talked about, you know, the kind of cautious reopening, mm. very anecdotally, but, you know, I was in um, Hiroshima a couple of weeks ago, which is where I first lived in Japan, and there were less than one case per million mm. a day there, right? Uh, and even so, the degree to which people were taking protection was was extremely surprising to me. It was way more than you even see in Tokyo, which I think is quite mm. good by, by international standards. Everybody wore a mask everywhere. Every store that I saw that I walked into had their doors wide open to, mm. to ventilate. In, you know, sort of the smaller towns and villages, you still were admonished to wear your mask while you were eating in communities that probably didn't have a single case mm. of, of COVID, you know. Well, that, that's one of the interesting things. So I, I went back to the UK in September and there, since the Freedom Day, even Freedom Day in quotes, <laughs> <laughs> even though in theory it was mandatory to wear masks on public transport, places like the London Underground, people just weren't. I would say it was about 50% of people were, were wearing masks at the time and people just, I think from reports from friends, it's gone down ever since then. And yet at the same time, or perhaps because of this, there was still 30,000, 40,000 cases of COVID every day. So it does just feel like the masks have been so essential to Japan in keeping these case numbers very low. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I don't know if at this point there's there's any point in getting into the 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 merits or demerits of um, of masking because I think everybody has taken a position on this um, at this point. Mm. But um, certainly, all the evidence uh, from Japan would would seem to suggest that you know that they are an essential part of it. And and honestly, whatever whatever about now, I would look more back to you know to to earlier on this year when. Many companies, even when cases were high, were still requiring workers to come in because, you know, a lot of companies, for whatever reason, either weren't willing or weren't equipped to do work from home, mm. and, you know, and 
the only thing that, that, you know, I think can explain why in those situations people didn't, you know, there weren't clusters in, in every office in Japan is that people were, mm. were wearing masks. And also, you know, I think there was um, a, a very early realization in Japan about the, the merits of, uh, of ventilation. Mm. So could it be that just because the case count never really got that high in Japan, even its peak, it was only... 25,000 cases a day nationwide. So could it be that just the combination of low case numbers to begin with, masks and a high rate of vaccination has just completely cut the transmission pathways uh, for the virus to spread? I mean, you know, I, I listening to the experts, I think those are all contributory factors. I think one thing that also has to be counted is the seasonality uh, mm. of the virus. Now, opinion is is still out on this, and that you know there isn't um, a tremendous amount of of direct evidence, but there there does seem to be an indication that as with most other respiratory diseases, as with the flu, as with, you know, the common cold, uh, that you get more of it in climates and seasons when people are more likely to congregate indoors. And, you know, I think that's one of the reasons that you've seen twice now in Japan's very hot summer, you've seen surges uh, hmm. of COVID and, and you've seen that because go away. Because people, people are congregating because it's actually colder inside than the humid outside yeah, that, yeah exactly it's just I mean, in 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 yeah. august you're going to spend more time indoors yeah because that's interesting so, yeah yeah you think of summer as hot therefore outside but i guess summer is so hot in japan that you spend more time indoors a- exactly yeah and, and and you know it's, it's hot and humid and, and you can see that in in other as i say in in, in other respiratory diseases mm. um as well whereas you know if you look at um for example northern europe tends to have quite a, you know, quite nice uh, summer. Mm. And so, you know, in, in Northern Europe and, and in the UK as well, you didn't really see a surge in the summer um, in the same way that, that you saw here. Um, so in Japan this year, we've had a very long and pleasant autumn. Um, that I think has has well yeah has definitely been another contributing factor, and I think everybody knows, and you only have to look again uh, at Europe that if you look to you know the colder coming months, it's quite likely that you know at least that contributing factor will will wear off. One of the theories I saw mooted was uh, one by a professor at the National Institute of Genetics. The Japan Times reported on this. And he said that the Delta variant in Japan has accumulated too many mutations, ultimately leading to its self-destruction. How is this theory being regarded in Japan? Do you think it, it stands up? It's not a quack theory, mm. right, shall we say. Now, it's, it's just a hypothesis. So I don't think we can say, you know, one way or the other. You know, for example, there is a quack theory that ivermectin was the, the reason that, you know, um, that cases in Japan have gone down. That's been promoted on, you know, on, on, on um, some parts uh, of the internet, shall we say. And that theory is clearly, like, it's not true. Uh, Professor Inoue's theory is interesting. There is a specific, you know... Um, a separate kind of sublineage of Delta called Delta AY29 that is responsible for almost all of the cases um, in Japan. Mm. And the theory goes that uh, as it gets several generations down the line, 
something about it makes it unable to, to copy itself um, efficiently enough to be able to uh, replicate itself and pass on to, to other people. Uh, it's an interesting theory. I think it would need, you know, a lot more study um, and certainly a lot more evidence for anyone to definitively say whether it is mm. true, false, a contributing factor or, or otherwise. Sure. So, I mean, we've spent a bit of time comparing Japan to the UK, Japan to Northern Europe, but I think the interesting country, the country everyone points out is obviously South Korea, which is geographically very close to Japan. It's got a similarly high rate of vaccination. Its population wears masks, as far as I'm aware. And yet South Korea's had the highest case count and the highest number of deaths on record in that country from COVID. Um, so what explains the discrepancy between Japan and South Korea? That's a great question and I wish I could explain it, but I, I don't think there is um, a good explanation right now. Uh, I can point to some of the theories um, that I have seen. Mm. The first one that I would say is, just as I mentioned on seasonality, South Korea is a lot colder and winter hits uh, earlier there uh, than it does here. That's one theory for one contributing factor. One other theory, uh, and again, I've not seen a lot of um, supporting evidence for this, uh, but the theory goes that a lot of South Korea's uh, vaccination campaign was done with AstraZeneca. I think we knew from the initial data that it's it's not it's still quite effective, but it's not as effective mm. as the mRNA vaccines, uh, and also that the immunity uh, wanes earlier. Mm. Now there's there's data on both sides of that, and I don't have um, I myself don't have a position on that, but that's certainly been another theory that's but put out there. I would say that it's uh, something that you know, people should be investigating. And I don't think it's it's given enough attention outside of, of, you know, of these countries or even within these countries, to be honest, because there are a lot of similar similarities uh, to the countries, as you say, high levels of mask wearing. So it can't just be mask wearing mm. by itself. Um, and who knows, there might be some other factors there that we're, that we're not aware of yet. I mean, last year we did see the third wave coincide with the onset of winter and also as the country, or I think it was impacted by the fact that the country had opened up with go-to travel immediately preceding that winter wave. We're now in a very similar situation where the country has opened up, even if people are still being cautious, winter is coming, to quote <laughs> Ned Stark on Game of Thrones. Um, and once again, there's talk of go-to travel returning potentially in the new year. So is another wave expected? Do you think Japan will see one in the coming months? I mean, I think if you look at essentially every other country in the world, you'd have to really believe in the uniqueness uh, of Japan to say that there won't be um, another wave. Certainly policymakers are expecting one, the experts are expecting one. And I think the public as well is is very well attuned to the fact that this hasn't gone away, that mm. it's that it's going to come back. You know, I think one thing that the policymakers in Japan have gotten right is that from quite an early stage, and even when there was a lot of, lot of good news, they have avoided like being overly celebratory, uh, telling people that it's fine, you can just take off your mask and burn it now or whatever. <laughs> and then, 
you know, then they don't have to go back and give the contradictory advice four mm. weeks later, you know. So, so, so that helps. My personal opinion is that it, it is inevitable that there will be, you know, another surge in cases uh, in the winter. How large that is um, and what damage that does, does it lead to another state of emergency? Those are definitely all questions that, that remain to be seen. Mm-hmm. So don't burn your masks yet. Do not do not burn your masks. Uh, buy, buy some masks now for for the winter. I would say. Um, last week, you know, everything was all about the tightening of the measures at the border. Despite all this, there have been, I think, as of today, three cases of the Omicron variant detected at the border, and it does seem fairly inevitable that there will be some eventual spread of that variant. How might Omicron change things in Japan going forward? I think the first thing you can say about Omicron is that. It gives what is quite a cautious administration um, under, you know, the new prime minister, um, Fumio Kishida. It gives them a reason to continue to be cautious. Mm. And I think what you're going to see and that you saw last week from the quite chaotic but very quick moves to implement uh, border control, um, and those have been very well received. So I think... Regardless of whether Omicron becomes, you know, a dominant virus, which is just we don't know Mm. whether that's going to happen yet or not, it does give some cover for, you know, the administration to continue to be quite cautious. And Mm. I think that's certainly something that you've seen Kishida learn from, uh, you know, the downfall of his his predecessor. I just want to clarify that when you say it's quite well received, obviously, I think in the international (laughs) community, for a lot of people, it wasn't. But I think you're referring to the poll that came out that said, I think 89% of people surveyed were in favour of the stricter border measures. That's right. Yes. Sorry, I didn't, I certainly didn't mean to say that it was was well well received by all. Mm. Um, But yes, it it did give a boost to um, Kishida's polling numbers. by and large, public opinion in Japan seems to favour moving more cautiously. Mm. Kishida's predecessor, Prime Minister Suga, he tended to move a little bit uh, less cautiously, a little bit more in favour of trying to support business, mm. trying to support tourism, trying to keep things going. Um, and ultimately that led to you know a huge decline in his public popularity. So Kishida certainly learned from that. So and just the reason that I bring that up is because, you know, if we do start to see more cases uh, of Omicron in Japan, which I think is, is, is an if uh, right now, then I think you will see the administration move earlier than maybe we might be used to mm-hmm. uh, in Japan so far. In terms of the virus itself, you know, in terms of the, the variant uh, itself, I should say, it, it's very much up in the air as we record right mm-hmm. now, whether it's going to be a big deal or not. Just the data just isn't there. There are there haven't been enough people infected by it to say anything conclusive one way or the other. Mm. Well, I think that moves us on quite nicely to the booster program because that, I believe, has just started in Japan. I think it was last Wednesday they started administering booster shots. Do you know what the plan is for that going forward? Yeah, the the booster program, as you say, it has just kicked off. It's just a couple of thousand people who have gotten at the moment. Right now, it's going to go from uh, from healthcare workers and move on from there. Initially, Japan went with the idea that it would be uh, eight months or more mm. after the uh, second shot 
um, would uh, enable someone to be eligible for a third shot. Again, the government has kind of used Omicron as cover for trying to to speed that up. So now, uh, actually just yesterday in, in Kishida's address to Parliament, he actually didn't put a time frame on it. He said he wants to, to move it forward as quickly as possible. Okay, without- so people can get a booster prior to eight months after their second jab. Yes, well, at least that's the direction Mm. from the national government now, as everyone will remember, and everyone who suffered through trying to get, you know, their their vouchers uh, and that, you know, back in the summer. It's not the national government that gets to dictate these things. It's all done on a a local government uh, level. So I would be confident that you'll see a large uptake uh, amongst the elderly population for the boosters. Mm. I would wonder if there will be as much a take-up from the younger age groups, especially if we don't have a surge like mm. the ones that we saw um, you know, earlier uh, this year. Surge caused fear and and demand. Exactly, yeah, exactly. When you're suddenly going from, you know, what Tokyo had, was it 1,500 cases, was the peak in the winter wave, and then you were seeing 5,000 cases mm. a day, you know, and very, very rapidly got to that level. That certainly put the fear in some people to who mightn't otherwise have chosen to get um, to get vaccinated. How that will go with the with the booster program, especially when you throw you know Omicron into the mix, uh, I think uh, remains to be seen. Mm-hmm. Final question to you: How would you sum up Japan's position going into winter of twenty twenty two? I think in some respects Japan is in a better position than a lot of countries, and you know I, I think. You have to take a step back at some point and look at the situation overall. And Japan has had, you know, fortunately, relatively very few deaths compared to um, almost any other, you know, major country, all while avoiding the type of Western style lockdowns where you have cops on the street and and people, you know, telling you how many people you can have in your house and that Mm. kind of thing. So from that perspective, it has done done quite well. And here we are with, uh, you know, quite highly vaccinated population, quite low case count and a fairly cautious public the administration of Prime Minister Kishida uh, said yesterday that they have increased the number of beds if there is a winter surge. They have plans for this, essentially a vaccine passport uh, style program. So things certainly, uh, they certainly could be worse. I think that there's a flip side, as I mentioned, to the to the cautious uh, approach that people have taken. It does have a downside on small businesses. It does have implications, you know, broader implications across society. The border controls, obviously, I think, you know, many of your listeners will have been personally uh, affected by Mm -hmm. the border controls. I think there is a lot of merit to the arguments that the longer that Japan can't bring in students and new long-term workers is going to have, you know, a damaging impact on mm. society. As I say, I, I personally think that there's no doubt that there will be um, another surge. As I say, I do think the, the current administration will move faster than certainly the Suga administration did, but there are, there are certainly limits to, to, to what they can do. So it is a mixed bag. At the same time, I would say, you know, you, certainly just looking at the level of damage that has been caused, Japan has weathered the, the, the pandemic better than most other nations to date. Hopefully that continues. 
Great. Thank you very much. Thank you. That was Garod Reedy, a senior editor at Bloomberg Japan. My thanks to him for joining me this week. If you've enjoyed this episode, and I truly hope you have, please do me a favour. Write the show a review or give us a rating on the podcasting platform that you use. Or better yet, please share this episode with a friend you think might enjoy it. Also, the Japan Times is currently hiring new news reporters and a features editor. If that's something you think might interest you, a link to the job adverts is in the show notes. The deadline for applications is Monday, 10th of January, 2022. That's it for this week's episode. Until next time, keep your masks away from the fire and podskare-sama. Podskare-sama.